0: Hey, we've got a great show. I've got Jason Forrest, Forrest Performance Group, and he's, I think, one of the greatest coaches of all time. Coaches and trainers. I'm talking about sales. That's the only kind of coaching and training I care about. It's on the sales side. And uh, we're going to get to him. But before we do that, I want to talk about styling for a moment because I'm looking great. And I owe it to all the folks at Institu. They specialize in custom tailored menswear for the modern gentleman. Perfect fit guarantee. You just uh, measure yourself, uh, send them in and start ordering away. You get custom tailored suits starting at 499 bucks, and shirts at 89 bucks. And if you use the code C Suite, that's C S U I T E N Y, you'll receive two shirts when you spend four hundred ninety nine bucks. I just did that the over the, the other day. So go to Institu i n s t i t c h u dot com Institu, and I'm back and I want to talk about my good friend Jason Forrest. I met Jason um, at a meeting of the Million Dollar Speakers Group, and these are the folks that are at the very top end and. I mean, top end Hall of Fame speakers who are running million dollar a year, getting over a million dollars a year in speaking, which I got to tell you is the top one half of one percent in the world. And that's where I met Jason. And he is the chief culture officer and CEO at Forest Performance Group, a leading authority in culture change programs and an expert at creating high performance, high profit, and the best place to work cultures. He's a sales professional, author, speaker, and management coach, and it's his job to empower professionals and executives to unleash their human performance and master their leadership skills in sales management, culture service, and so much more. I'm telling you profit through people is what he talks about. And you got to check out his most recent book, um, because, I mean, I can't even say the name. I can't even say the name. You just got to go look it up. Jason Forrest. That's with two R's and F-O-R-R-E-S-T. And we're so proud to have him here and right here on All Business. Welcome, Jason.
1: From Main Street to Wall Street, global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Hey, my first question, Jason,
0: is why do people make so many mistakes when they're selling?
2: I mean, I would say the the main reason is because they're not intentional with what their outcome is. What are they really trying to do? Um, You know, if you think about it. You know, so, so often you hear salespeople make excuses and complain and they say, you know, the reason why I'm not selling is because the economy or because the prices or because my competition's willing to negotiate and we're not willing to negotiate or we don't have enough customers coming in. But, you know, when, it, when it's real simple, the real simple thing about selling people have to remember is that, that selling is about convincing someone to spend more than they planned on and actually buy something sooner than they thought they would. Which is really kind of simple to think about, right? So, so if you are a salesperson, your entire intention is to convince someone to spend more than they thought they were going to and, and, and buy something sooner than they planned on. And, and that's really your intention. Now, obviously, I'm using the presupposition or the belief system that says a person is, is noble and a person's um, got high ethics and high integrity and they're not manipulating a person. That could sound very manipulative. Uh, but that really is the idea of selling. That's what you. Right you have to do. Yeah. And, and it's really to buy
0: it from you. I mean, cause eventually what you're saying is they're going to buy it anyway and they might not buy your shirt or your car that you're trying to sell to them, but eventually they're going to buy a, a shirt or a car. Now you want to get them to buy the shirt and the car from you, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I definitely believe that. I remember when I was, when I was a little kid, one of the, I've, I've gone through so many major recessions watching my father. My father owns the older story store in Dallas and I, I kind of watched him, you know, different di- going different, going through different, different sessions during the times. And, and, um, there was one time, you know, I was listening to the radio and and my father owns a jewelry store and a clock store and on the radio, this person said, uh, so how's the, the local clock market? And this one sale, this one competitor of his said that people aren't buying clocks in this economy. And so I called my dad up and I said, dad, what's, what's the deal with that? And he said, he said, son, people are still buying clocks. The only question is from whom? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I love that. I mean, that's a great line that my dad taught me at a young age.
0: Yeah. Even in bad times, people are buying things, right? I yeah. mean, it's yeah. just they're, they're buying them from you. I just want people to buy them from me,
2: right? Yeah. I mean, especially, I mean, and, and this is, and this was grandfather clocks. I mean, seriously, Jeffrey, like, who yeah. do you know owns a grandfather clock, right? I, and I my, want
0: one. my, my, yeah. I, we used to have one. I haven't seen one for a while. I like clocks. I, in fact, I
2: need. Does your dad? Does they fix clocks? I, I got to get a clock fixed. Yeah, they got. He, he sells the most. Sells the most clocks in the entire state of Texas. It's a big state too.
0: Yeah, my dad brought back this wonderful clock back from Vietnam when he was in Vietnam. But of course, he stopped in Korea or Japan or something. He bought this clock, and we've had. We used to have it for, I mean, decades and decades and decades. And my mom. Inherited it after my dad died. Um, well, she kept it as part of the divorce, evidently. So, and then, then when my dad died, de- you know, over a decade ago, uh, she still had it. And then when she died, I, I took the clock. I wanted that clock, and I did. It doesn't ring anymore, you know. And I got to get it fixed because I just want to hear that again. I just that that was a sound I remember when I was a kid. Anyway, side note: it has nothing to do with what we're talking about here, but just one of those squirrel moments. So, do you like
2: selling? I do. I. I, I, um, I do too. Yeah it's it's probably it's probably the single greatest thing that gives me the most kind of joy and happiness. You know, it gives me the most certainty, the most significance, the most growth, the most contribution. Uh, I also look at it like, like a game. I mean, when I was in high school, yeah. you know, I mean, I was a um, a big football player in Texas, and you know, those are some of your highlight years. You know, or they they could be, but for me, they're not because I still look at my everyday life as is um it's just like a one big football game you know it's just every day's and I, and I and I get slaughtered sometimes i mean right now we have a huge goal that we're mm-hmm. doing an fpg i mean we're growing 150% year over year every year and and we're the fastest growing sales and sales manager training company in north america and but i mean i, I get clobbered sometimes I and mean, i got clobbered the other day on a sales call um i did a great job selling to the c suite i have no problem selling to the ceo or the coo if i get the cfo on the call it's like a, it's a slam dunk and all of a sudden i got the sales manager on the call And I didn't, I didn't change my message. Uh, And what I recognize is that the sales manager heard me as I'm going to be the hero, which means the sales manager now has to admit that they suck and they're the victim. Right. And so in order to bring me in, they had to admit defeat where when I was selling to the C-suite, they could really give a shit. Right. Because for them. Like they just want more revenue, more profitability, they want it faster, and so they don't care. They don't care who's going to be the hero, as long as you know, right? Yeah, they'll throw.
0: Well, basically, you throw everybody in the bus. The C suite believes in usually a lot of the C suite believes in keeping one person between you and harm's way at all time. It's a good thing, (laughs) you know, good thing to remember. But but we also realize in the C suite, let's get real clear that we do make mistakes. We do need help. We 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 don't have all the answers, and and there's nothing wrong with admitting that. You know, I think that's one of the cool things about being in the C-suite is you're comfortable with what most C-suiters are. They're comfortable in admitting that we don't have all the answers. We're not the smartest people in the room. So it's easy for them. It's easier for them to say, you know, in the downline or even in amongst the C-suite. No, we need to do this.
2: Yeah, well, yes. And I I would say that's that's really because the C-suite just wants to win. Yeah. And, and, and that's how I am. Like for me, like I just want to win. Like I just want to win more than anything else. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to win. And, you know, to me, I define success by, did I win based upon my measurable goal? And so to your point, like I could care less if I'm the one that came up with the idea or not, or I'm the one that actually did the work or not, because in the end, I just want to win based upon the result where I think to your point, like in this case with the sales manager, You know, I came across the wrong way with them. I didn't change my messaging with the sales manager. And so the C-suite just wants to win. Well, the sales manager, they just want to survive. So so, (laughs)
0: Jason, I have to ask you a question like this because you and I are very good friends. And I think you're one of the best, the best sales coaches I've ever seen and sales trainers I have ever seen in my life. And I truly believe that Uh, you're you're a young guy to me. But every time I listen to you, I, I learn things and I like that. And so there's not a lot of people that I get that from. So that's a, a very big compliment to you Thank and your ability. But you just did a rookie mistake, dude. That's a rookie mistake where you where you you sell to, you're selling the same way to the same person all the time. Why did you did you was that your 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 hubris of your own success
2: or what? Maybe, maybe <laughs> so. I mean, I, right? I mean, no, that I is kind of a rookie mistake, right? Am I am I am I wrong? Yeah, no, it it definitely is a rookie mistake, and I think what happens is, like it like last week. I mean, I was just on sales call for sales call, and I was just in, I was just you're extreme, in the zone. You're in the zone. I was in the zone, yeah. And so I just got what happened is I got handed from the C, the COO hands of me literally off and said, "Hey, I, you know I love this. Let's get this. Let's get the sales manager on the call immediately." And. And, uh, mm-hmm. like brought his, you know, you know how we do it. He brings this his iPhone into the sales manager's office, stops their meeting, oh, right? God. <laughs> yeah. you know, and so throws this freaking phone in the middle of the conference table going, Hey, you got to hear this guy, Jason Forrest. I totally agree with everything he said. And so I just basically came in, you know, it's just so as a way. yes and extension off of yeah. what I was talking to the COO about, didn't stop for a moment, change my message, didn't ask what they want, what they cared about, what they were trying to accomplish and continued to shoving my message you know, down their throat, which they, of course, immediately got defensive and rejected and I lost it. Yeah. So, <laughs> well,
0: that's a, that's a good lesson, though, by getting yourself centered again. You know, like to stop, yes. you know, not you yeah. like you go, 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 go. And then no, step back, center yourself, figure out why I'm here. What are the conditions of satisfaction? What do I have to do? How do I need to alter or change my message now? But but when we say that, we say, you know, alter or change my message to meet the, the needs of the other person or to to mirror what who they are, you know, or just you, when you say, I, I just want to win, a lot of people are going to listen to this and think, well, you, you'll do anything to win. And, and now, and you said that, and I say that, but we don't mean anything. What we mean is ethically moral inside of the system, but we will out-play, out hustle, out play, out smart, out think, out do anything to make that happen is, is, that's really what you're talking about right jason
2: yeah 100% i mean i yeah so you're right i think words have meaning we gotta be we gotta be careful with with our words but you know maybe i'm naive or not but i just i just really i mean i just kind of think there's a presupposition or a pre-belief that says you know i'm going to have integrity i'm going to be the utmost above the line thinking i'm never going well, some, to do something i mean that's to the to way someone. you operate
0: so why wouldn't you Correct. think that yeah. i mean that makes yeah. perfect
2: sense yeah. yeah so within that i mean like you know, but at the same time, I mean we also have price integrity. Mm-hmm. So when I say everything to win, I mean, um I mean, I, I mean, I have not, I mean, you right now, if you were to call every single one of our clients and they were to they were to price compare our deal from one to the next, one hundred percent of them would say they got the exact same price. Like I, we are very big on price integrity. So I mean, so you know, so when I say everything within to win, it's within our within our rules of engagement, right? within our boundaries. Um, just like a great Air Force pilot, there's always rules of engagement that you have to, you have to obviously fly within and live by.
0: Yeah, that's tough to do when you want to win all the time, right? To hold inside that integrity,
2: uh, it it is tough to do, but I think I think you know, to me though, it's about it's about um, it's about playing the long game versus the short game, and you know, I I hate to use the cliche, it's a marathon on spring, because I think it's an oversaid said, but but I mean, there really is kind of a belief system around that that. You know, I mean, like, for example, like our clients stay with us for seven and a half to eight years, month after month, month to month contract. So, I mean, the, so the, the, you know, I, I I can't be short sighted about this thing. I can't be transactional because, you know, I mean, I can convince someone to buy with me, you know, in an hour, like, like no one. But the question is, you know, can I convince them month after month after month after month after month? And so I have to be careful that, you know, when I, that I, you, you can't, you have to, you have to have these rules of engagement to protect your future business as well, right? Because, you know, I could say anything to get someone to buy, but then, you know, I got to obviously sustain the conditions of satisfaction next month and a month thereafter. And so you got to make sure you protect yourself with all of these different things that so you have a long, you play the long business versus the short business. Yeah. It's a
0: very smart way to do it. Hey, let me take a quick break and I want to come back and ask you about the biggest mistakes salespeople, sales managers, uh, sales leaders make. So let's, let's do that. But before we do that, I want to talk about, becoming your own boss. We're talking about selling here, but how about becoming your own boss? You can do that in selling. But in this case, how about owning a franchise? How about talking to the folks at Liberty Tax Service and give them a call? They have more than 20 years of business tax and franchising help. In fact, they talk... I interviewed them for a television show and they talk about happy franchisees. I'm actually going to put that in my upcoming book, the hero factor, because I was so impressed by Liberty tax and what they do and how much they really believe in it. Cause not all the time do I find people believe in what they say and they do. So Liberty tax can help you and they'll give you some flexibility and all you need and put you on the road to owning your own business. So give them a call. I, I encourage you to, I, I know I've sold a couple of franchises as a result of this show and I love the folks over at Liberty tax, Martha and, uh, Uh, Well, Nicole, Nicole just became the CEO, president of the company. She's from Rapid City, South Dakota. How about that? From South Dakota. I love that. So for more information, don't forget, visit LibertyTaxFranchise.com, and you'll find everything you need to know about about owning a franchise with Liberty Tax. And you get to wave. That's pretty cool. You've seen those guys, haven't you? Waving in the street, uh, Jason, uh, Liberty (laughs) Tax.
2: yeah, I, I love those guys, the little, little sign yeah. guys, and they're doing all kinds of dances. Yeah, and that's stuff.
0: cool. I just, in fact, there's an election here in South Dakota going on right now, and people are standing on the street corners waving as you drive by. I like stuff like that. I like good old fashioned get down to it, get out there and sell kind of stuff. So, Jason, right before the I, I took this uh, thing about Liberty Tax, I um, I ask you, what's the biggest mistake salespeople, sales leaders make?
2: Uh, I mean, so the biggest mistake that sales managers make, sales leaders make, I would say, is that they just don't focus on coaching their people. They focus too much on managing their people. You know, so again, I know that's been said probably a lot, but let me kind of go further on that. Is that, I mean, if you, if you just ask a simple question, that is, what if, what if you started looking at your salespeople as an athlete? and not like an employee, then you would start coaching them like an athlete and not managing them like an employee. And so right now, for example, if you were to think of like the great coaches of Bill Bilicek, you know, the amazing scientists, I call them the football scientists, or you look at Nick Saban, he's like the ultimate culture guy uh, when it comes to building teams and recruiting, or you look at Pete Carroll, which is the ultimate psychologist of of uh, performance in football. You you take these three you say, okay, well, what would Bill Bilicek, Pete Carroll, or you know, or Nick Saban do right now today when it comes to working with my sales team. You know, what would they do? How would they treat the situation? And they would do things very differently. You know, they they wouldn't be they wouldn't be in their in their meetings twenty four seven. They wouldn't be in all these strategy sessions, constantly talking about what's the strategy. You know, I mean, to me, it's about it's about getting in the trenches, being tactical. You know, for example, so for example, like here's an example. So one of the things I told I told my team is I said. I said, um, I, put, I created this huge new goal for our organization. It's, it's to bring in a big chunk of revenue on a monthly basis in our organization, and, and it's going to grow our business and just kind of rapid growth. And, and I said, look, here's the deal. I'm, I'm going to stop what I'm doing, and I'm going to go do it now for the next three months straight. I'm going to prove that it's possible. And the reason is because I want to be, be a leader that always leads from the front line. I want to be a leader that says it's possible or it's not possible. But I'm not going to be a leader that goes and tells my sales team, hey, you, gotta, you guys have got to go break this plateau, break this goal and they keep pushing back and saying, it's not possible, it's not possible. And I keep yelling at them and saying, it is possible, it is possible, but I don't know if it's possible. I'm just going to be the one that yells at them all the time as a manager. Mm -hmm. And so, for me, what I want to do is, I want to be the one that says, it is possible, it's just currently not possible for you. Because I did it for three months in a row and so now, I'm going to show you how to do it. I'm going to teach you how to do it, I'm going to unleash you. I'm going to coach you and hold you accountable to do it, but don't be the one that says it's not possible because I just did it three months in a row. And so, to me, I would say, you've got to be a coach. But specifically, you've got to be a coach that's coaching from the front lines. Do not coach from the skybox or from the report or, God forbid, be the one that coaches from the Salesforce report. I mean, the whole reason why Salesforce was created, because you had a bunch of managers that said, I'm too afraid to have the tough conversations, get in the trenches, roll up my sleeves and go sell from the front lines. And so instead, I want to manage and grow my company through Salesforce reports. Now they've created a billion-dollar business off that one model. That's not how you create speed and prop in the organization. You've got to coach from the front line. So stop Salesforce for a second and go jump out there and get in the trenches.
0: So let me ask you a question around <laughs> because you bring up whole thing around Salesforce. And I love the idea of selling from the front, but uh, well, that just uh, a whole another question here comes to mind. Do you do you have to be able to do the stuff that you do in order to
2: coach it? You know, I I, I think. I, I, I think you kind of do. I, I, I think, I mean, I, I used to say you don't need to. And obviously, you know, you look at Nick Saban, Pete Carroll, and Bill Belichick. I mean, they technically don't know how to. I mean, they can't throw the football as well as their quarterback, or they can't, you know, tackle as well as a rush linebacker. But they can obviously do it well enough that they could hold other people accountable. So maybe you yeah, don't need.
0: To, yeah, but they've had to they play. But they
2: had, they had to, to play, play correct? Right? Yeah, and so. So again, you you don't need to be the best salesperson on the team, but yeah, I mean, you got to be at least in the top 30, 40%. I mean, you got to be the one that can earn the respect of your people because I mean, if you can't, if you can't do it, then I don't know, I don't know how, I don't know how you're going to earn the respect of your people, you know, because they're going to look at you and go, you know, I don't, I, I don't know why it would work. It doesn't work for me. I mean, you want to be the person that's going out there and actually trying these things and, and, and you know, and, and doing it. So I do, I do think you need to be the one that can do it.
0: The reason I ask about that is because there's, you know, I keep seeing all these people who are life coaches and they're 23, 24 years old.
2: How the hell can you be a life coach? Oh, I'll tell, I'll tell you, you know, you know, the career path of a life coach. What? The career path of a life coach is that you, uh, you were someone that, 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 um, that kept a job for at least six to 12 months tops. (laughs) And you had at least 10 jobs in a row that you averaged an income of maybe $33,000 a year. And then after that, you decided to uh, become a keynote speaker. And then after that, you couldn't, couldn't get a, a paid speaking gig. You decided to become a consultant. And then after that, the consulting gig didn't work. And so you decided to uh, go to Udemy and pay $39.95 and become a certified life coach. And that's what you do on the side now.
0: <laughs> okay. All right. Well, That's going to get us some letters. All right. The things that I learned from you. And I, I love this and I want you to talk about it a little bit it's called no show do
2: yeah so no, no show do is is really the simplest way for you to make your employees uh profitable you know profitable as fast as you possibly can and so no show do basically is you know step one you got to give them the knowledge right so let's say let's say uh, look I always tell people the most important thing in selling is do you have a position of strength the second most important thing is how fast can you get it and the third is can you sustain it until the close right so so let's say you want to give them the knowledge of that, which I just did. Here's the knowledge, position of strength. Position of strength says that they want you, they want to spend money on you. They're interested in what you have to offer. So then, so then showing would be, let me go demonstrate how to do this. So you shadow me. I'm going to be on a sales call. You shadow and I'll show you how to do this. So for example, whenever I train salespeople, uh, they sit next to me and I, I, I put everything on speakerphone. And while I'm actually selling, I am muting the phone. So I'm basically, I'm actually like telling them, I'm saying, here's what I'm about to do. I'm going to go get position of strength. Here's how I'm going to do it. And then watch this. Okay. So then I make the phone call happen. I, I do my opening pitch, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The person, basically I get position of strength. They're talking while they're talking. I'm actually muting the phone and I'm listening But I'm telling the salesperson next to me, okay, did you see what I'm doing right now? Okay, right now they're answering the question exactly how I thought they were. Now I'm about to respond in the following way. And when I do respond the following way, they're going to respond back in the following way. And then I unmute the phone. I respond. They respond exactly how I thought they were going to respond. And then I respond exactly how I respond. And then I mute the phone again and I'm showing them exactly what's doing. So I'm actually like kind of game time coaching while I'm actually demonstrating what's happening. And so that's the show part. So the next part is they need to obviously show as well. So now they need to kind of role play with me um, in kind of that second part of the show. And then the do is that they actually go and do it where I'm now doing the ride along or in the case of phone selling is that they're, you know, they're they're the one that's that's the lead salesperson, lead pilot. And I basically play navigator. I'm playing the wingman and we're muting the phone constantly and I'm actually telling them what to say. So like in that case, they'll actually be pitching and I'll mute the phone. And I'll tell them, okay, so now I want you to respond like this. Say it exactly like this, and then we'll unmute the phone. The other person is going to stop talking, and then they respond as well. So it's no show do. So it's the fastest way by far to get your people um, up to, to speed and profitability.
0: Well, I mean, you should, that's the way you do it with your kids. That's the way we do it every, every way. I mean, is they, basically, we forget about that.
2: It, it is. You're right. I mean, it's exactly how we teach a person to ride a bike, to you know, to do right, to do to do anything is is exactly the same way. No show, do.
0: Okay. So, my next question: You mentioned Salesforce. The reason why Salesforce was invented, and there's, of course, lots of CRM systems. What do you think is the best way to use Salesforce? Or another CRM system. I'm asking for myself because you know, I invest a lot of money in Salesforce for my team. So what do you think is the best way to use it?
2: Yeah, I mean we and we use Salesforce as well. So I'm I'm again I'm not knocking Salesforce or CRM system. Oh no,
0: I don't I d didn't think you were. But I mean if you just if you just if you didn't do it right, but what's the best way to use
2: yeah, it? Yeah, I mean the best way to use it is that you know we, we run our, our company based on an artist integrator model. So think of an artist integrator as again, you've got a pilot and you've got a co-pilot, or you've got a you got a maverick and a goose, right? And so, for example, um, the way that I do it is that like when if you're if you're the lead on a sales call, you've got a navigator next to you. You've got this integrator that is basically typing all the notes into Salesforce. And so I, I have my sales integrator that basically her job is to own Salesforce. So it is her brain. You know, I, I tell I always tell people that a salesperson makes money when they use their mind. In their mouth. So if you're using your mouth and your money, your, your mouth and your mind, you're making money, right? But in the case of this, though, I, t- I tell Becca, my sales integrator, I say, look, you're my, you're my mind. And the extension of, of, of your mind is Salesforce. And so the way we use it is that we use it as a way to not have to think about what's next. And so when we're constantly making those, those, those daily calls, you know, every day we start our day with making those hour, an hour of outbound calls. Well, Salesforce tells us, Here's who you're going to call for that next hour. Well, that's created based upon before Becca goes to, goes to bed at night. She basically goes through the leads and she organizes an hour's worth of of calls. So she's using Salesforce as really like kind of an optic system because, you know, she's, she's putting stuff in there. Well, you know, we might not think about it for a month, right? Or whatever our time frame is. And so it allows us to kind of cleanse our mind, be present, be focused on the day. And then all of a sudden it'll just kind of pop open and say, okay, we got to call these people back again. Well, now Salesforce is telling us to do that. So that, that's how I use this. It. It's more of an extension of my brain. But what I don't do, and this is like the exact opposite of what a lot of companies make their salespeople do, is I don't make the salesperson enter stuff into Salesforce because I need a salesperson to use their mouth. I need them using their mouth, using their mind to make money. And I don't need them changing their brain power to go type in stuff into Salesforce while they're thinking. And so like in my case, I use, I, I have just a handwritten, like I, I have like a, a, a sales strategy sheet that I've created and I'm basically taking notes on that as far as working my, my sales game. I'm taking notes the entire time while my sales integrator is typing notes into Salesforce the entire time. And at the end, we quickly debrief and then we go to the next call. So that's how we use it.
0: Yeah, I think you're going to be able to use a lot of AI for that. Um, but I and I do agree with you. And I want to get back to the point about letting the salespeople be salespeople. But don't you think we're going to start seeing a lot more AI tools that are going to allow us to do that kind of stuff?
2: I, I think so. I mean, even even um, I mean, I think Salesforce even came out with I went to the last Dreamforce conference. And I think they even came out with some some new thing. I forgot what it's called, but but um, it's it's kind of the early stages of exactly that.
0: Yeah, I'm using voice on my conference calls, and that's integrated into Salesforce, which is a really cool thing. By the way, if folks, uh, email me, and I'll get you a special pass for Voice Sarah because that's a pretty cool tool. I'm using it like crazy. Have you, have you started using that yet, Jason?
2: I haven't. You mentioned that, but I, now that you've you've told me now twice, I have a, I have a rule that I have to use it after someone tells me twice. <laughs>
0: okay, there you go. No show do, dude. That's what I'm doing. No show do. You got to use it. It's like a, a time saver because she she takes the notes, and then she gives me back the action points. She's an electronic, electronic voice, a virtual assistant. Her name is Eva. Eva, I say, I say, she,
2: what, I say what's her name? Her, name, her name's
0: Eva. Eva, Eva, yeah. I told them I got to put a picture of her up there. I, I expect that to come soon. But she's she's a,
2: an affordable employee?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. She said uh, it's 10 bucks a month. It's oh, easy. That's, that's pretty affordable. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty affordable. Well, with C-Suite Network membership, you get it for free. There you go.
2: Well, there you go.
0: My So one of the things that I thought was real eye-opening for me is the way in which – you and I were talking one time, you and I and, and Mary, who's one of your right hands there, we were talking one day at a conference and I said, Man, I got, you know, I got a superstar who's working for me, and she's she's really a superstar when she does stuff, but then I can't get her to do this other stuff. And and you said, Stop getting her to do the other stuff, right? Remember that conversation?
2: I, I do. And and again, it goes back to that whole artist integrator thing. You know, it's just interesting because like like we have a book right now that we're working on called Warrior Selling and Warrior Stories, and I cannot wait. The tagline is igniting the pride, purpose, and respect professional selling. But, like, one of the concepts I'm going to say in the book is that, that you know, make, make follow up your plan B, not your plan A. And if you think about, like, why, why was follow up even originally invented? It was invented um, to, to because, because we cannot convince salespeople to ask for the order on the first visit. We couldn't convince yeah. him to do it, right? Yeah. And all so right. we had to manage around it. So we managed around it and said, all right, we're going to deal with the weaknesses of our people. And so we're going to create follow-up. We're going to make that the priority. And we're going to build this whole multi-billion dollar CRM industry off of the idea that our salespeople can't close on the first visit. And so we got to make follow-up the priority, right? And so you know, it's interesting because, I mean, think about this. I mean, companies go nuts trying to convince their, their salespeople to use the CRM. Well, again, why do companies want the salespeople to use the CRM? Because they want to manage from the skybox. They want to manage from the office. They don't want to sell from the front line and leave from the front line. And so, you know, really what I tell people is that what do you really want out of of your CRM? You want your salespeople to increase their speed and profitability. You want them to to sell faster with a higher profit margin. I mean, that's the entire goal. Well, if that is the goal, then I get the, I get the intention behind you know, the CRM device. But the question is, do you really need your salespeople messing with it? Because I'm telling you right now, the salespeople that are the best at CRM management are the worst at closing. Okay, The salespeople that are the best at closing are the worst at CRM management. So- mm-hmm. then why so if you want the CRM management, then just pay someone fifteen bucks an hour you know to basically be the person that manages the CRM you get your reports that you need from the C-suite and then but you get more sales and profitability and that your and your increase in sales and profitability will more than pay for the extra fifteen an hour employee that one
0: thing right there right there will will make you millions of dollars folks I'm telling you that right now so if you want to increase the productivity of your salespeople, listen to what Jason Forrest. Forest Performance Group just said that will save you or make you millions of dollars, and it will just cost you the price of, you know, 20, 30, 40,000 hours a year in terms of a person in order to gain back millions. That's what I did. I, I I listened to you tell me that, and I thought, you know what? You're right, and and then I practiced no-show do, and I went and did it. Right on the spot. I, I I saw you on Saturday or Sunday, and on Monday or Tuesday, I was hiring the person. It was that fast, and the change was overnight. And so now I pair those people or person with the top salespeople in our organization, and it's making uh, it's just oh my god. First of all, it just makes me feel better.
2: <laughs> <It's>, well, <laughs> well, yeah. Well, know. and and the the sales look. You want to create? Check this out. I want to write this down. You want to create? A organization, a company that salespeople people want to work for, not yep. have to work for, right? And so, if your top salespeople, they just want to sell. They just want to sell, 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 sell. And as soon as you make them do these distractions, like you know, mess with their CRM database. Well, what that does is that a salesperson that's truly a salesperson, it takes them two to three times the energy power, the willpower. There's a good book called The Willpower Trap. We only have so much willpower. It takes them two to three times the willpower to to start their engines and go get into organization integration mode. Well, as soon as they're doing that, you've now destroyed all of their sales ability for the day. They can't go from that back into selling. So you want to keep them, you want to just keep them selling, selling, selling the entire time so they don't have to switch back and forth, and your money just goes right right up.
0: All right, my friend. Well, listen, just right when we get it up and we get going and we're so excited about it all, I'm going to have to have you back because this has been too good, way too good, and I want to do it again. All right, my friend. Thanks for joining me right here on All Business with Jeffrey
1: Hazler.
0: Man, that was a great show. We were just getting the energy moving. I think we just got a shot of five hour energy drink or Red Bull or something like that right at the end again, because it just gets it's so exciting. I learned so much. I took a note uh, of something I got to do as a result of that call. Did you take some notes? Because uh, that's what we do is we learn something every single show before I come back to what I learned. I want to talk about my good friends at Elytra Health. We spend our money in so many different ways and invest in unimportant things. It's time we start investing our most valuable asset, which is ourselves. So I really encourage my fellow C-suiteers to check out their service. Visit elytrahealth.com and schedule your appointment. This is where you get to go in all day long. They probe you, they check you, they test you. This is your body, your mind, your, your, your soul. You know, it's a real business. That's your biggest asset, you. So they check your heart. They check your lungs. They check, uh, your feet, your hands. They, they check everything, body scans, uh, bone density test, everything. And at the end of the day, you get this big set down meeting with the doctors and dietitians and everything and it changes your life. I'm in the middle of doing some things for myself as a result of that, uh, a day long session. So, uh, you, you know, invest in yourself. It's well worth it. All right. So at the end of every show, I'd like to talk about what I learned. What did I learn? Begin with the end in mind. You know, that's where I ask them, what's the biggest mistakes a lot of sales people make. They don't think they can do it. So begin with the end in mind. You know, Michael Jordan used to be the greatest, greatest, uh, free throw shot shooter of all times. Why? Cause he used to sit there and dream of swishing the net swishing the net swishing the net he began with the end in mind are you beginning with the end in mind so that's what i learned today so let's get it on let's do it don't forget my friends to make sure you tell your friends all about c-suite radio and especially about all business with jeffrey hazel right here on c-suite
1: radio thanks so much for joining us